All right, True Life, how you guys doing? Woo! Woo! I'm excited to be up here. I know Michael already did this, uh, but I'm going to embarrass my parents. Can you guys just come up here for just a second? I just want you guys to see my parents, all right? So that we can honor them. Uh, you guys can cheer for them as they're wiggling out of their seats. Uh, just come up here. I want you guys to know who they are so you can say hi to them and hug them later. Uh, but I just wanted to take a second and honor my parents. This is my mom and my dad, uh, and they've been ministering in Newark for 30 years, actually. Uh, they moved here when I was two months old. I'm 30. Uh, so, uh, so, so 30 years, and they were pastoring before that. And, and what I really want to point out is you guys don't know all of the backstory to maybe all the leaders here at True Life, but, but a few of us, uh, came from their church, uh, about two years ago, uh, three, two and a half, three years ago. Uh, we had a heart to come on Main Street and reach college kids. How many are our college students? Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. And so we had this heart that if we could get a church planted on Main Street, that probably more college people would show up. That was our idea. And, and we were right. And, uh, and during that whole process, we met Michael, and we ended up just feeling the Holy Spirit leading us to just team up and do it together. And, and two years later, man, the theater's packed, and we have tons of people from college and family and all over the place. And that's because you guys were obedient and, honor, and honored the Lord in sending us out. So I just want to just honor them. Can you guys just give it up for them? All right. Thanks, guys. Love you. All right, so we are in this series at the movies. A couple quick announcements, and then we're going to get into our first clip. Uh, next week, next week is a big week. Next week, our small groups start. How many are excited about that? I'm excited about that because I'm the small group pastor, and uh, and because I love small groups. I've actually really missed them while they have been away for a few weeks. We take little breaks between semesters, and man, I have missed it. I've needed that that weekly time to connect with other people that love Jesus, and so that starts next week. If you're interested in leading a group, fill out your connection card. You guys see those cards in your little cup holders? All you have to do is fill out your information and write somewhere on there, I want to lead a small group or small group leadership or small group lead or SM or S, uh, SL, I can't even think, uh, whatever. Abbreviate it however you want and I will figure it out and we will contact you uh, about leading a small group. The only other thing I want to mention, uh, again, we already, we already had you raise your hand if you're in college. We do something called adopt a college student. If you're a college student and you're interested in getting paired up with a family in our church that you can eat with and hang out with, uh, now and then throughout the month, um, sign up, just put that on your connection card and we'll get you paired up families. I know you, I don't even have to ask. I know you would love to have a college student over to your house to eat, right? I, I know that you're every time you make that meal, you're thinking, I wish there was more college students in my house eating my food. And, and so because I know that about you, I need you to write that on that card because I just can't read your mind. I, I know that you think, oh, Joel will just find me and, and he'll partner us up. And I, I don't know because I can't read your mind. So please write that on your card today. Write it on your, like even now, just get that card out and begin to fill it out while I'm preaching. While I'm preaching, you can fill that out. You don't have to wait till the end. Do it now. With that said, uh, we're going to jump into our first clip. So uh, turn your eyes to the screen and, and watch this little clip we put together. Like that, uh, I, I like putting that together. That was fun for me. I am excited for this reason. I am excited that we live in a time right now where, for ever, for whatever reason, uh, the stories of the Bible, God's story, is being proclaimed not only indirectly but directly through entertainment and movies. How amazing is that? How cool is that? I have been so uh, man. I've been so excited this year to watch movies come out in the past few years. Really. 
I, I think it kind of kicked off about 10 years ago with the passion of the Christ coming out and people in Hollywood realizing, wait, we can make money off of Jesus. And I'm fine with that. Great. Make your money because people are hearing the stories of the Bible when they go pay $12 to see a movie. That's incredible. That's amazing. And and, and so I, I remember earlier this year, uh, this movie Noah came out and I, I was so excited to see this. Right. It took me several weeks to actually get to the theater because I have kids and we need babysitter if you're interested. And uh, and so um I went to that movie with this mindset. This is what I went. I thought this was made by a guy who isn't a Christian, but who loves the story of Noah. Right. I read this. He, he loved this story, this idea that God wanted to kind of make everything new. That God wanted to just wipe it clean and start over and, and give every give mankind a fresh start. He loved that idea so much that it stuck with him throughout high school and throughout college and through all of the stuff that he did and throughout all the other movies he made, Black Swan and the, the Fountain and all these other kind of real artsy movies. He always had this idea like, I want to make Noah, right? So I went in thinking, this guy's not going to get it right. Like I went in, he's not going to get it 100% accurate. Like it's not going to be 100% biblical, but I thought... It's probably on a percentage scale. It's probably more percent biblical than, let's say, Wolverine. Um, that's just my thought. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll learn more about the Bible from the story of Noah being told in a movie than I will from, let's say, like the Avengers or, or you know, whatever else you like step it up three or, or you know, whatnot, um, whatever you see. And, and so I was really uh, quite frustrated with my Christian brothers and sisters when, when this movie came out because everyone got all up in arms. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's not, it's not 100% biblical. And I knew people saying that that wasted lots of money on other movies that were 0% biblical or maybe even negative percent, if that's a thing, uh, biblical. And, and I begin to think this, uh, that up until the past 100, 200 years, the center for art and creativity was the church. And you can see this throughout history. You can see uh, some of the chapels. I've been to Italy and, and, and Venice and seen some of the chapels. And there's beautiful artwork in there. It's beautiful. And, and they're depicting different stories and different things that happen in the Bible. And I can tell you with assurance that, that it's not completely accurate when you see those things. How many of you guys have seen that painting where, where God's reaching down to touch man and they're both wearing loincloths? Have, have you guys seen that? Right? It's pretty famous. And... Uh, it's not accurate, right? Like there was never this moment where God was in a loincloth. We don't see the Bible saying that God's an old man uh, or that he touched man with his finger. Like we don't see this. But you know what? When I see that, it, it's a cool visualization of the idea that God reaches out to mankind, right? And, and so I don't get mad. I don't go, God's not an old man and God doesn't wear a loincloth. Like it's beautiful. It's creativity. It's somebody trying to reflect the beauty of God, the creator. And, and so I was excited to see that. And, and pretty soon we're going to see... Um, Exodus, Gods and Kings. It's coming out. Ridley Scott, the guy who made Aliens. Christian Bale, Batman, right? Sigourney Weaver, Star of Aliens. Uh, I'm excited to see them act out the story of Moses. I've already seen from the previews that it's probably not going to be 100% accurate. It looks like at some point the Israelites and the Egyptians have a battle, like a war. That's not in the Bible, in case you didn't know. Uh, but in the preview, it's there. So I'm just going to go in with the expectation that, you know what? This isn't going to be completely accurate. But how cool that it's relevant in our culture right now to talk about the Bible. Like, you could take your friend to this movie and it'd be cool, right? Like, like 10 years ago, if I had went out to eat and I'm talking to my waitress, what are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're going to go watch a Christian movie. Like, oh, cool, great, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like, it, it definitely would not be looked highly upon. But I remember before I went and saw Noah, me and my wife were out to eat, and the person said, what are you guys doing? We're over here at Two, uh, Two Stones Pub in Newark. And I said, we're going to see the movie Noah. And she's like, oh, that looks really cool. I, I really want to see that. I've heard really good things. And these are people 
that I've talked to that, that don't know Jesus, but they want to see movies about the Bible. And, and no matter what you think, here's something awesome. When the movie Noah came out, uh, Bible Gateway, the Bible app, version, all these, they, they put out these stats. Over the next couple of weeks after that movie came out, the reading of Genesis 6, which is the story of Noah, went up 300%. Right? So no matter what you think, and no matter if you enjoy every piece of the movie, if part of the Bible is being read 300% more than it was being read a few weeks ago, that's a good thing. That is a good thing because God's word doesn't return void. He will do something with that. And so I'm excited to see the biblical narrative uh, being told on the screen. It's exciting. We should be excited about that as Christians. Let's not mess this up. Let's not, let's not have this be a time where people look back and, yeah, we tried to make biblical movies, but all those Christians got their paintings in a wad and, and we didn't make any money off of it. And so forget that. We'll just keep telling stories about, you know, sex and drugs and, and lies and, and deception. Like, we'll just keep doing what we've been doing. Let's not ruin it, guys. Let, let's take advantage of this time. And this is the, this is the big idea today is that, um, the biblical narrative, it, it's, it's woven into us as humans and, and it comes out in our art constantly when we create. And will it always be accurate? No. I think of the song Silent Night. Nothing is accurate about that song because when Jesus was born, it wasn't silent. It wasn't bright because it was nighttime and there was no electricity. But it's art. It's us trying to tell a story. It's us trying to tell of the beauty of God and his creation, what he's done. And if we look at any art, no matter how secular, no matter how broken, no matter how uh, distorted, we'll see glimpses of God in it. And, and the reason this is, I want to take us to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon says this. He says, he, and he's speaking of God here, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. The big idea here is that the reason God bleeds through our creativity is that he's put eternity into our hearts. And we know we're part of something bigger. We know we're meant for just more than this life. And like the scripture says, we won't be able to completely figure it out. We're not going to figure out everything God does from beginning to end. Paul in the New Testament would say that right now we know in part and we see in part, but one day we'll know in full. And so it's this idea that all of mankind, we're all trying to figure out what is that feeling inside of us that says we're part of something bigger. Why do we have this sense of calling? Why do we have this sense that, man, there's something more than what's right in front of me? It feels like I was designed. It feels like I was created. And so I think the first thing I want to bring to you guys' attention is that in all of our art, in all of our creativity, there's this one message that so much comes back to, and it's that we're all searching for a creator. And so I want to show you guys this clip. It's from a sci-fi movie, because I want to prove that you can take any type of movie, and you'll see glimpses of God. And in this movie, these people are searching for their creator who they believe is a group of aliens. And, uh, so I'll just throw that out there. And, uh, so it's going to open up with them finding a map for the aliens. And then the second scene that we're going to look at is it's him talking to a cyborg, which is a robot. Uh, so, and then I'll come back. So let's look at this clip. I love the way that scene ends. What would you, what would you do to find your creator? Anything and everything. And I think that's the cry of so many of our hearts. I think that comes out in so much of our art that we're looking for our creator. We're looking for why we were made so much so that it even comes out in our declaration of independence, right? It says that we have inalienable rights that were endowed by our creator. I, you, I guess you guys don't know. That. I was trying to get you to finish it, but, um, and that was written by a guy named Thomas Jefferson who wasn't a Christian. Uh, the, the guy actually at one point took the Bible and just cut out all the parts he didn't like. 
Um, and he left just the teachings of Jesus, just like the Sermon on the Mount, called it the moralist Bible. And, um, and he didn't believe in the Bible. Like he didn't believe the whole story, but he believed that there was a creator so much so that he put in our declaration of independence. He thought it was that important. And I think that, that we see that throughout history and humanity that we're looking for a creator. And I want to take us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible where we can see this. I want to start by, by going to the first five words <clears throat> spoken in the Bible. Our first glimpse of God, our first revelation of who he is and, and what his character is like. And then I want to look at the first thing that he tells us. So Genesis 1.1, the first five words of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created. And I love that. That's the first glimpse we get of God, is that he's a creator. That he is creative. And that he creates Back to that Noah thing earlier this year. This is why I laughed when I read some articles from Christians who said, well, it doesn't say God in the movie. It just says the creator. I was like, yeah, and the Bible actually doesn't use the word God either. It says Elohim, but we don't. Anyway, uh, God's first revelation of himself is that of a creator. In the beginning, God created. And the first thing that he gives to mankind, Genesis 1:27, it says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So uh, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God creates us and then he commands us to create being fruitful and multiplying. That's creating more people. If you're really unclear on what I'm saying, ask the person next to you. And if they're your spouse, ask them if they want to practice biblical commands later. Um, so our creator created us and we've been creating since at a rapid pace. We figured out how to control fire. We created the wheel so we can move things faster. We created the iPhone 6. And, and from what I picked up from Apple, there was nothing between the wheel and iPhone 6. That's it, right? Like wheel, maybe sliced bread, uh, and, then, and then iPhone 6. Nothing else important came out in between there. Um, but creative beings, and we're made by the creative being. And what I love is the Apostle Paul in, in Acts 17, he recognizes this when he's speaking to a bunch of hipsters in a town called Athens. These guys love philosophy and they loved art and they loved, they loved being basically cooler than you. And, uh, and Paul's speaking to them and rather than bashing their, their culture and their way of life, he uses it to point them to God. I want to show you guys this. Acts 17, starting in verse 26, he's preaching to, again, a group of philosophers, artists, uh, the, the people that were all too uh, not cool to hang out with, right? Like they're just cooler than us. And he says, and he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. And I love this phrase and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Just love that the way that's worded. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And this is a quote now from some of their modern artists at that time. It says for in him, we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Those lines there about being his offspring, about living and moving and having our being in God. Those were not written by Christians. Those were written by secular artists, guys who didn't know Jesus. And Paul says this, this, this phrase, this line from that song, from that poem, it's pointing to God. Because man is made in the image of God. And so it just naturally comes out. Even in our broken, sinful state, even when we're in rebellion against God, we just have this thing in us that, that wants to create because we're made by a creator. And, and so when we reflect his image, we just start creating things that reflect him, that point to him. 
even in that broken state. I want to point that Paul doesn't insult their art. He doesn't protest that it's proclaiming a false religion. He doesn't really even insult their religion, which is crazy to us because we feel sometimes as Christians like that's our job, like mock other religions. I, I'll just be on a soapbox for a second. I, I was I was sad this week uh, when a, a Christian publication put an article out about Muslims. And they basically said that that we should have no hope that they will get saved. It said that we should have no hope that God will ever do a mighty work in the Muslim community. And, and it said that instead we, we should maybe deport all of them out of America or we should get guns and get ready for war. I'm not kidding. This was in a very popular Christian magazine, um, their website. They took the article down because it trended on Twitter. Tens of thousands of people read this article. People that don't know Jesus read this and then started tweeting, please take this down. This is offensive. This is horrible. What? And all I could think was, man, I, I, I better tell my friend that moved to and is spending her life preaching the gospel to Muslims that she's wasting her time. I, I better, better tell my friends that, are, that used to be Muslims that have come to Jesus that, that they shouldn't have done that because we shouldn't expect God to move in other religions and, and save people from them. Maybe I should stop letting Muslims live in my house. Because I've had three live in my house in the past three years. And I love them. Actually, four. I've, I've lost count, right? Because uh, their names are all so similar, right? Like Aziz and Fawaz. And you know, it's, I love them. I love Muslims. And, and this idea that, oh, yeah, there are enemies. God, just if you want to post something, like, just don't. Just walk away from your computer. Go to sleep. It's not Jesus that's leading you to post that video or that article or what. It's not because God loves Muslims and he loves Hindus and he loves Buddhists and he loves atheists. And when we start saying, oh, there are enemies, we should we uh, they're different than other religions. They're different than other people groups. God's not going to do anything amongst them. You don't know Jesus. You just don't. When Jesus showed up. He came to a place where religion was rampant. So much so that they, they killed early Christians. People who said, oh, I love God. Oh, but you're saying it differently, so I'm going to kill you. Right? That's what we're seeing happen now. And so we use that and say, well, they, they, the Muslims, they kill people. So we can't expect God to do something. So did the Jews. They killed Jesus. They killed Stephen. They killed Paul. They killed Peter. The Romans. They were pagans. They killed lots of the early apostles. They got lions. They got lions and they put Christians in the Colosseum and let lions eat the Christians. And then, you know what, why the gospel spread so rampantly in the first few centuries? Because of the Romans. Because God moved in the midst of that persecution. And by the time Constantine legalized Christianity in 330 AD, over 50% of the Roman Empire was already Christian. Some people twist that and they say, oh, he did that and that's why it got popular. No, he did that because he was scared. Said half my kingdom or more is already serving this Jesus guy. Uh, so am I. Yeah, me too. That's what Constantine did. Don't let your professors or the history channel tell you differently. That's what happened. That's history. Read about it. And so when, when I hear people say, oh, well, that religion is different and God could never do anything amongst them and, and we should all get ready for war. Just know that God has already done that in the past and he can do it again. So, sorry, that's not in my notes even. Uh, Let's just love people, right? Like, let's love them and show them the love of Jesus and expect God to do the unexpected. And even if they do terrible things, we follow the words of Jesus, that we love those who, who curse us and we pray for those who persecute us. 
See, Paul, he used their creativity that was woven into the worship of their false gods. And he said, hey, you guys have been saying this. You've been singing this. You've been proclaiming this. Guess who it really points to? It points to God. They actually had an idol in their city. And, and, and they were trying to cover all their bases. And it said, it said a, a, an altar to the unknown God. Because they didn't want a God to show up and be like, where's my altar? They wanted to be like, oh, there it is. We just didn't know your name. Paul used that in this same passage, if we could read the whole thing. And he says, hey, that unknown God, I know him. Right? Like, he didn't come up and say, how stupid is that? Like, we're all laughing. Like, unknown God. You know? Paul's like, unknown God? I know that God. Let me fill you in about him. Right? Like, that's what we should be doing. It would be almost like if you came to church and a pastor was like, let me use Kanye West songs and, and secular movie clips to tell you about Jesus. Right? Like, if a preacher could do that, they'd be pretty awesome. Um, but, uh. But think about this, 2,000 years after Paul said this, 2,000 years after Paul quoted some artist, some poet, some singer, we don't know who that singer was, right? Like, not, like we don't know because Paul didn't use his name. Like, we don't know who that was. And yet, those words that were written by someone who didn't even know Jesus have been preserved in Scripture, and we're still quoting them to this day. And I know worship songs where we use those lines. They were originally penned by someone who didn't know God because we're created by a creator, and we create. And it reflects him and it comes out in that creativity. And when we meet our creator, much like the guy in that last clip, we want to know why he made us. We want to know our purpose. And so I want to show you guys this clip of a guy who's living a life without much purpose. And because he has not, he has kind of a boring life and he, he feels like he's missed his time and he, and he kind of had to do some things. And so he missed what he was supposed to do. He just daydreams all the time. And he just imagines what life would be like if he did have purpose. So I want to take a look at this clip right here. We'll be right back. All right, so it's a goofy clip, right? But like I said, you, you can see this story woven throughout all of our art. And, and I think many of us can feel like this guy at times. Like we wish we had a better life, and so we dream about it, and we, we think about it, and maybe we're full of regret or remorse. Man, if I'd only done this, if I'd only caught that, that winning touchdown when I was in college, or if I'd only, whatever, maybe I would be somewhere else. Now I think I've missed God's plan for my life. I think I've missed the will of God. And I think sometimes when we use these catchphrases like God's perfect will, it can sound a bit constraining and a bit scary it's like it's a speeding train, and, and, and if we weren't looking at the right time, well, we missed it, and now we have to settle for this. We have to settle for, for, for the boring, for the mundane. But I, I would like to challenge that I don't think God's will was ever meant, so, meant to supposed to sound so mysterious and so restrictive. I want to take you guys to a few verses that apply to our life. We'll just read through these. Romans eight twenty eight. Paul says, and we know that all things, how many things? All of them, right? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And in Ecclesiastes 9.10, back to Solomon, uh, he says this, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Ecclesiastes is always full of joy. And, uh, but, uh, so, see, this is my challenge is that, that when you read the Bible, God doesn't tell you the specific plan for your life. He doesn't say you should go be a doctor or you should be a mechanic or, or, or you know, you should go to college or you shouldn't go to college. Like th those, you're not going to find verses that say that. Instead, you're going to see really broad brushstrokes. Even in the Great Commission, we see Jesus say a few things that we should preach, that we should baptize, that we should make disciples. But then when we look at the book of Acts, we see guys like Luke doing that, but also being a physician. We see guys like Paul planting churches, writing half the New Testament and also making tents so he 
can have some money. Uh, we see God, uh, we see women like Lydia who gets saved and is one of the leaders in the early church. And yet she is, is noted as being a seller of fine cloths and linen. She's basically what they would have seen as a fashion designer. She doesn't give that up. She doesn't stop that from what we read. She keeps doing that because these are things that those people were good at or were passionate about. And they weren't so caught up in, oh, does God want me to make tents? It was like, no, I need to make some money. I'm good at making tents, so I'll make some tents. And that'll let me preach the gospel. And that'll let me do the eternal work, right? And, and so I, I want to even think just back to how many of you guys know the story of the Garden of Eden, Right? Genesis 1, man, nobody? All right, so in the beginning, uh, no. All right, so I know you guys, your hands are tired. You're in the popcorn bag, whatever. Um, so in the Garden of Eden, I need a little response here or this won't work. Um, God told Adam and Eve, uh, he, he said not to eat from how many trees? One, one tree that they couldn't eat from. Now, how many trees could they eat from? All the rest of them, right? And I think that if we, we understand that that's God's character, that that's God's nature in in application to our life, it kind of changes things. It kind of loosens things up. It, it frees us to go, oh, wait. So it's not like, oh, if I miss this one thing, if I make one wrong decision uh, or trip on the stage, then, uh, th- then it's over. And the plan that God had for my life, I'm going to just miss out on it. It's like, no, you know what? Seek God. Be in relationship with God. And he'll help you figure everything else out. That's the point. Um, God wants some people in full-time ministry, Sure but he also wants blue collar workers and white collar workers and, and workers with no collars like lifeguards or whatever. And, and um, that's, that's what he longs for. And, and I think of this quote from Martin Luther. He's the guy who was part of the, the reformation uh, of the church. And, and he has this quote. I love, he says, the Christian shoemaker does his duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Hundreds of years later, we still don't get this because when I was Googling this quote, you can buy shoes with little crosses on them and they don't look very good. Uh, So I would say this. God is more concerned with whether we do our jobs well than whether or not there's a fish on our business card or a scripture hanging in our cubicle. He'd rather you do really well at your job and reflect him in that way. And let your boss go, wow, this, this guy, this girl works hard. Like They go out of their way to make sure the job's done right. Why? Because I'm not serving you. I'm serving God. I'm honoring God with the job that I do. Many of us hate our jobs and, and we do poorly at them. And then we just say, God, just open that right door so I can get out of this. That's not at all biblical. Be faithful with what God has for you, even if you're trying to get out of it. And on that note, I'll just say there's two things we do in our church to help you along the way. To basically foster this environment where, where we, we can help you figure out what are you passionate about. Because some of you, you're working, you're in school, whatever. You don't even know what you're passionate about. You're still figuring that out. We do one thing called life track and it's basically every month we go through it and, and, and it helps you not so much figure out true life. It does that, but it helps you figure out you like who are you and, and what are you good at and what are you passionate about and what do you want to do and where do you fit into the kingdom of God? Where do you fit in reaching more people? So we do that tonight is 201. The hottest teacher we have in our church is teaching there. It's my wife. Uh, it's not me. I, I'm farther down the list, two or three. We only have like three teachers or four teachers here. So, uh, anyway, um, can't be that far down on the list. So we need more teachers so I can be more self-deprecating. Um, the other thing that we do is we have small groups, uh, because we believe that the, the, the thing that will help you the most in finding your purpose and fulfilling your destiny, if you will, is being surrounded by like-minded people who are going to spur you on. They're going to encourage you. They're going to challenge you. They're going to get in your face about things when they need to, and they're going to pray for you and love you. 
And they're going to be there for you when you make mistakes and when you succeed. And, and those start up next week. And I encourage you, everyone here should get in a small group. You just should. But if you've ever tried to take on something challenging, if you've ever tried to fulfill your purpose, you run into what I think all of us have experienced, and that's brokenness. That's Something's wrong. And it doesn't take long for us to realize that, that something's wrong with the world, that, that something went wrong, that it's not all perfect, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, that, that lots of things go wrong, and sometimes it's our fault, and sometimes it's other people's fault. We're surrounded by death and pain and destruction. Some of you guys have struggled with chronic pain. Some of you have emotional scars and baggage that are hard to work through. Some of you struggle with doubt and unbelief. And if you could meet your creator, you would say, fix me. Create something new in me. Make me different. Because I can't seem to do the things I want to do that I long to do because of these limitations, because of these things. In scripture, we see things like David praying, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Did he have a heart? Yeah. But he knew it was, it was vile. He knew it was sinful. And he's saying, I need, I need a new one, God. I need you to recreate me. Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about us being in, in a tent that's temporary. And how our bodies are going to die. And, and we'll spend forever with God in a new body. That's not broken. That's not full of sin. That's not full of weakness. Theologians call this term regeneration. It comes from a verse in Titus 3, 5, if you want to look it up later. It's regeneration. It's that, that when you come to God, it's not just merely a cleaning, but it's a restart. It's a reboot. It's like when you hold that power button down on your computer, and it, and it kind of just erases everything, and you start fresh, and it's new. Uh, that it's a reboot. It's a refresh. And, and so that term regeneration is there. And this longing to be regenerated, it plays out in lots of movies, lots of shows, lots of art. We see people that, that get a new start, that get a fresh start at all different points. But maybe one of the most blatant examples, and it's from the best character of any show or movie around, definitively. Uh, and um, it, it's from this show called Doctor Who. Uh, it's, been on, yeah, it's been on for like 50 years now. Um, and it's, it, this is what happened. When the first guy who played Doctor Who wanted to retire and needed to retire, they thought, well, you know, what do, what do people do with shows? They cancel them or they can get a new actor and just pretend that he's the same actor. Like, you guys remember Aunt Viv on, on Fresh Prince? I was like, okay, that's not, what? That's not the same Aunt Viv. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Nick at Night, all right? And, uh, and so, uh, so when this happened, they thought, you know what? Well, this is about a time-traveling alien guy, uh, we can just make stuff up, which is 90% of the show anyway. Uh, so they said, well, we'll replace him, but we'll say that basically what happens is when their body wears out, they regenerate. They use this word from the Bible. They'll regenerate and they'll become the same person, but with a new body and maybe some new desires and, and tastes and, and just some things that are different, but overall, same person, same mind, same heart, soul, all that hearts. Uh, they, he has two hearts. I know I'm, 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 I'm nerding out today on this one, but, uh, anyway, I want to show you this clip in this clip, just to give some preface. The doctor has been stuck on this planet for 400 years. So he's got immensely old. He starts the regeneration process. He gets back to his younger self that we all know and love from the show. And then he transforms into a totally new person. Um, and sometimes it's an older person. Sometimes it's a younger person. Cause it doesn't matter. Cause he's going to just keep living. And so it's just whatever. Uh, so I want to, I want to watch this cause I just think it's really cool. And then, and then we're going to get back to the message. And now all the nerds, you guys can get saved. Just come down and, uh, we're going to have an altar call. Um, Man, I, I, I love, uh, I love this scene. I love this show. Um, because again, whenever things get worn out, he just gets to regenerate into something new. And, and the truth is in the Bible, uh, it speaks of our life is going to end and, and we are going to die. And, and, and the truth is that if you know Jesus, you get to start your new life with him at that point. 
You, you get to start the rest of eternity with him. It doesn't end at death. You, you get to die and then be with Jesus in what the Bible calls a glorified body, a new body. But before that ever happens, what happens first is that our hearts become regenerated. When we meet Jesus in this lifetime, in this day and age, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new soul. He, he, he cleanses our soul. He gives us a new heart. And, and our desires begin to change. The things that we want begin to change. And I know some of you guys who have come to Jesus already, you know this. You've seen this happen. And it can kind of be summed up in, in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's literally what happens. You become a new person. You change. And again, you've, some of you guys, you've experienced this. Some of you, some of you guys, your only goal in life before Jesus was to party and, and to find that next girl to sleep with. It was, that, it was a conquest. You had a checklist. You're like counting how many you could get. And then you come to Jesus and, and that shifts. And all of a sudden you find yourself desiring things you never desired before. You want a family. You want, you want a wife. You're like, I, I never wanted that before I came to Jesus, and now I do. I want to help young guys realize that that way of life is empty. What's happening to me? Some of you guys, before Jesus, you were materialistic, and all you cared about was getting wealth and getting more money and more stuff and piling it up. And then you come to Jesus, and you find yourself just kind of giving money away. You're like, I would have never done this before Jesus. I just, I pull money out, and I just give it to people. I give it to the church. I give it to homeless people. I give it to missions. I, it's weird. Like I'm excited and I'm excited about it. I enjoy it. Some of you guys who are afraid or timid before Jesus and, and now your friends can't get you to shut up about it. They're like, really? I wish you would shut up about Jesus. I liked you when you were quiet. You guys, some of you have seen God heal relationships and families and marriages, things that you thought were impossible. And Jesus does it because he makes all things new. God not only creates, but he recreates in us over and over. And that leads me to some of you. Some of you are here and you have no idea what I'm talking about. And, and you're saying, man, all this sounds cool. And I know it's fun and we're watching movie clips, but, but I've never experienced that. I don't know this power that could change me, that could make me new. I'd like to. And so what we're going to do, we're going to have an opportunity in just a moment for, for you to have that moment, for you to meet your creator and find your purpose and have your heart changed and be renewed. So I want you guys to close your eyes, bow your heads. If that's you today, and I'm not just saying this, these are not just words. Today can be the day that changes your life forever. This can be the day that you meet your creator, that you begin that journey of finding your purpose and that you allow God to recreate you, to change who you are. And I can think of people in my own life. I know I, in, earlier I introduced you guys to my dad. He, before coming to Jesus, his desires were way off. And at 15, he came to know Jesus. And now, years later, I'm up here preaching because of a decision that he made all those years ago. Because of something that God did in his heart all those years ago. His life changed. And I, can, I could pick out numbers of people in this room who were headed down one path. Jesus stepped in, changed their life forever and history was changed. And our life was changed. So if that's you, if today you're saying, Joel, I want that. I want to know my creator. I want to find my purpose. I want to be recreated. 
I want you to slip your hand up just for a moment. We're going to pray together. I want you to put your hand up. And if that's you, we're going to pray. But I want you to, to take that step. Put your hand up to say, that's me. I need that. I want that today. Okay, we're going to pray a very simple prayer. Everyone here at True Life is going to say this together. And we don't just do this to make you comfortable. We do this because this is a prayer that all of us pray on a regular basis. I love the quote from the same guy I quoted earlier, Martin Luther. He said, a Christian's whole life should be one of repentance. And so we're going to pray this prayer together in support of you. And and, and we're going to pray to God right now. Just say these words with me. Dear God. Make me new. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to know you. I want to know my purpose. I want to be recreated. I surrender my life to you. And I confess that you are Lord. In Jesus name. Lord, right now I pray for my new brothers and sisters in the room who who just came to know you for the first time, who just meant you today, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would begin to lead them on that journey to find their purpose and to know you and to be recreated. God, I pray that they would feel your Holy Spirit working inside them today, God. That their desires would begin to shift and change. That their hearts would be made new. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the amazing things you're doing here and now in our church and in Newark and in the lives of the people that are here today. God, we love you. We praise your name. You're so good. And we give this all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.